five, four, three, two, one. Let's go. Diary of a Kidney Warrior podcast in partnership with Kidney Care UK. Sharing faith, knowledge, hope, and love. Hi and welcome to Diary of a Kidney Warrior podcast. My name is Dee Moore and I am a stage four kidney warrior. This podcast is dedicated to encourage, educate and inspire as we explore all aspects of kidney disease, chronic illnesses and health. If you have any questions or ideas for topics you would like me to cover, please get in contact with me on social media using the handle Diary of a Kidney Warrior. In today's episode, renal dietitians Laura and Angeline return to share tips and advice for healthy weight loss for people living with chronic kidney disease. Hi and welcome to Diary of a Kidney Warrior, the podcast. How are you doing today, Laura? Really good, thanks, Dee. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. And hi and welcome to Diary of a Kidney Warrior, the podcast. How are you doing today, Angeline? I'm really well, thank you. How are you? I'm good, thank you. And Happy New Year. And I wanted to say a massive welcome back to Diary of a Kidney Warrior podcast. For anyone listening for the first time, Laura and Angeline are friends of the podcast and I interviewed them back in December as part of the Christmas special episode, which was the 50th episode of Diary of a Kidney Warrior podcast. So a very special episode. And we talked about having a kidney friendly Christmas and the food and drinks that are safe and delicious for kidney warriors to eat over the Christmas period. So if you haven't listened to it, do check it out. There's information on there that's still very relevant and useful all year round, not just for Christmas. So do check that out. So today's episode is a follow on from that episode where over the Christmas period, people tend to maybe be a bit more indulgent and may have gained a few pounds over that period. And now in the new year, looking at New Year's resolutions and thinking, I'd like to lose a few pounds. And so this episode, I thought it would be really good to invite Laura and Angeline back to discuss about weight loss and healthy weight loss at that. When you have CKD, weight loss is an even greater challenge. So who better to invite to come back and have a good discussion about the subject of weight loss than renal dietitians, Laura and Angeline. So before we begin, I wanted to start with a disclaimer. And so for the disclaimer, I'm going to hand over to Laura and Angeline. Okay, so we were just chatting about how it's really hard to make recommendations for individuals in this kind of forum. And really, everything we talk about is quite general, but it can't replace any personalised advice that's been given to you by your health professional. I think that pretty much covers it. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. So what I wanted to start with is what would be the key messages for a person who has CKD, who's trying to lose weight in the new year? One of the first is probably don't be tempted by fad diets or some huge overhaul of your diet straight away. There's a lot out in the media at the moment, isn't there? Lots of um, different crash diets that people can do that promise the world, but 
don't necessarily deliver <laughs> the yes. results and might actually leave you slightly heavier than you were before you started. I think it can be quite dangerous embarking on a new diet and having a complete overhaul of your eating habits overnight, you know, just doing something completely different overnight, shopping differently, cooking differently, eating differently. I think it should take time. And I'd say in our experience, most people we see, if they do some kind of bad or crash diet, they lose a lot of weight, but they do tend to put it back on. Whereas if you make sort of small sustainable changes and, and you lose weight a bit slower, it can be frustrating, but it's more likely to stay off in the longer term. So that's really important. And making small sustainable changes is probably one of the key messages, I think. Avoid the fad diets and make those small sustainable changes. So really evaluate and have a look at your diet and think about one or two things that you think you'd like to work on and make that the key, make that the focus of what you do and let it become habit, let it become easy, let it become something that you do every day, a daily habit, and then reevaluate and look at your diet again. What more can you change? How can you make it healthier? And focus probably more on health rather than on I was going to say that the scales. I think especially if you've got CKD, there's often other things that you're thinking about as well, sort of the salt and the protein and fat, sugar, fats and sugars yeah. and things. Yeah. So um it's not easy. Weight loss isn't easy for anyone, but especially when you've got those other things thrown in. And definitely ask for help. So if you do have access to a dietitian, then that's a really good route. But you might want to speak to your GP about other services in your area because it's not an easy thing to embark on. And uh, there's definitely no one diet fits all. No, I would agree there. There is definitely no one diet fits all. And I would say try and avoid the diet if you can. Try and, like I say, focus on it being about a health embarking on a healthy diet not a crash diet absolutely because it's really easy to be like right I want to lose weight and I you know I want to lose a stone in a week you know and it's dangerous to do things like that but you know you want to get it off as quickly as possible but yeah at the end of the day you didn't put that weight on that quickly so it isn't wise to lose it that quickly either and no. quite often yeah. a lot of these fad diets are, you know, you, I don't know, like you just eat cabbage or you just eat one type of thing. <laughs> and yeah, I'm sure, you know, anybody that just eats one thing is going to lose weight, but you're not going to get the nutrition and all the things that your body needs from eating one specific thing. So, And the yeah, enjoyment as well, Dean. I mean, can you imagine eating cabbage soup? I think that's the diet that you were alluding to when you mentioned eating cabbage. But just there's no fun in that, is there? You don't look forward no. to your next meal, do you? When you and I think yeah. it really affects people's self-esteem in the long term, this kind of dieting culture. So you put yourself on these really unrealistic restrictions and you're bound to fail, but then you feel really bad and negative about yourself because you have failed. You, you're you're more around. likely to go to the kind of foods that you didn't want to have to make yourself feel better. And it, it kind of goes into this cycle. In the long term, people find their weight might start to go up with several attempts at crash diets. So, yeah, the key message would be focus on a healthy diet, but make those healthy changes gradually, one at a time, two at a time, whatever you're comfortable with. Get it to a point where that becomes normal, that becomes habit and it becomes easy. 
and then focus on a new healthy habit that you can introduce into your day-to-day and be kind to yourself because it's not easy and you know give yourself the time and the space to kind of recognize your own habits and your own relationship with food and, and seek help if you need it. Speaking from experience I think that going into it as somebody with CKD it's not a good idea to actually look at the the weight on the scale because for me especially because I get issues with edema I can wake Mm. up and I'm two pounds heavier three pounds heavier and I haven't eaten you know loads and loads of calories or done anything different I might have even exercised the day before and if you're just looking at weight on the scale and you get up and overnight you're two three four pounds heavier because of edema it could be quite soul destroying if you're actually looking for the numbers to come down and for me I have to remind myself, no, I haven't gained weight. It's edema. It will pass. It will be okay. But I think that that would be something that I would say. You can't just focus on the number, on the scale. You have to focus on your health and eating healthily and taking care of yourself and not be obsessed with the scale. Yeah, I I definitely agree with that. The weight can be quite misleading and yeah look at other things and set other goals around sort of changes in your diet and changes in your activity and lifestyle rather than focusing on the scale so much and we can't get away from people being weighed all together on dialysis they're weighed twice at every session um pd patients might have to weigh every day okay. and yeah. certainly for those on the transplant list they're, they're often given weight goals to be on the transplant list but i think you're right you don't want to become obsessed with it so I'd say maximum to weigh yourself once a week, but it could be less often than that. And it's looking at trends and how your clothes are fitting and sort of so many other things, you know, how breathless you are getting up the stairs or there's so many other markers you can look at. So what would be a starting point for somebody who's looking to make these changes to their diet? One of the good places to start with is writing down what you are having. Start with a food diary get a clear picture of what you have on a weekly basis and then have a good look at it and think about what can I improve on am I eating my five fruit and vegetables a day am I achieving that every day if I'm not what can I change to hit that goal every day and just focus on that one to begin with yeah Uh, I think it's sort of being a bit of a detective and being an observer of your own life really and some people say well food diaries aren't necessarily useful because I eat the same thing every day but actually if you're writing down as you go through the day you might find there are times that you're having extra snacks or you're sort of reaching for something or eating bigger portions than perhaps you needed so it's just sort of observing where you are at the moment not being critical at all and just identifying where there are areas that you might be able to improve on. That could be why I know that I should eat more, like I've mentioned, fruit and vegetables, but also things like fibre can be really helpful. Is my diet rich in fibre? And fibre comes from things like wholemeal breads. We all know that we should be eating wholemeal breads over and above white bread, for example. So am I having wholemeal bread? And then looking at things like, am I having wholemeal pasta? Am I having wholemeal rice? And making those little switches. And even noticing things like, on the day I had porridge for breakfast, I didn't have a snack mid-morning, but the day I had 
piece of toast, I was much more hungry. So I ate more. So especially I think the people that are on um, steroids and sort of other treatments that tend to affect your appetite, if you can really look at those nice filling foods to try and keep you going. Yes. That's a good observation to make as well. But you you might also sort of link in other triggers that you find. So you might say, well, I didn't really need that, but I went to the shop and it was on special offer and I, I came home with it in my bag. Or um, I was in the office and there was something in the staff room that I just decided to have. Or I've got a, a bit of a habit of snacking in the evenings, even though I've only just had my dinner. So you can identify the places where well, you, might, yeah. you might be able to cut down and, and find ways to overcome it. Like you might think, oh, online shopping is a, a better option. It is for me. I find myself much less drawn to all those um, treat foods if I'm sticking to my list and I do my online shopping. It could be like on your way home from work, you pass a shop and you know you're hungry because it's almost dinner time and you pop in and you get a snack just to tide you over until it's dinner time. But actually, perhaps if you hadn't walked past the shop, you might not have had something. So it's looking at where the unplanned food perhaps comes in. And I think that that's another thing to perhaps mention is planning can maybe be quite helpful once you've had a good look at your diary made of an evaluation of where you are, the things that you might want to change. You want to plan. You really do want to think ahead about what you're going to have, the things that you're going to change and how you're going to make sure that you make those changes. Yeah, a lot of people say that they find that really helpful. So we don't want people to be um, feeling that they're deprived or that you're having to stick to a meal plan, but your food diary might help you to understand the certain times of day when you're hungry. And actually by scheduling in a snack that's something that's relatively low in fat and low in sugar that you've planned is probably better than going over hungry and then reaching for the first thing that you find. The crisps, the chocolates, the biscuits, which are easy and always around. So you mentioned about filling foods. So what would be examples of filling foods? Oh, yeah, good good question. So fibre is generally quite filling. So anything that's higher in fibre will be more filling so things like the whole grains so your whole grain cereals so Laura mentioned things like porridge oats wholemeal breads or granary wholemeal bread um like your shredded wheat and your wheat wheat in the morning good choices and perhaps you know even bulking that out by adding some fruit to that or a small portion of fruit with that extra fiber it also makes it more attractive and gives it a bit more flavor as well yeah, so any of your whole grains, really, so quinoa, millet, buckwheat, I mean, they're all a little bit unusual, but if people can find them and are willing to have a go and try them, then they're all readily available in the supermarket, and they're much higher in fibre, therefore more filling. Even adding things like beans, pulses, lentils to main meals can be really great. And if you still like to enjoy your meat, it could be that you, say, for example, have a bolognese, but you use half meat and a half lentils lentils are a filling high fiber bulking and adding in things like grated carrots and courgettes and um, always opportunity to add in vegetables isn't there? vegetables are a really good way of sort of bulking out your meal without adding a lot of extra calories and and we try and do that with most of our kidney kitchen recipes now so we're evolving as we go through but we're trying to make sure that most of the breakfasts have got a portion of fruit in them but most of the main meals have got two portions of vegetables in them so for someone who is vegetarian or vegan and isn't adding meat to that, what would be a good filling thing for somebody who is meat-free? 
So, I mean, we took, I gave the example, I think, of a bolognese. Mm-hmm. You would simply make the bolognese purely with the red lentils and some and your vegetables and whole grain pasta. If you use the same recipe, say, for example, for a shepherd's pie, and it was somebody who still ate meat, they could do half meat, half lentils with lots of vegetables. And again, if it's somebody that's a vegetarian or vegan, then you omit the meat and up the lentils. It's a bit of a swap, yeah, really. I think, you know, for, for ease, some people do like to have like the soya mints and like, yeah. corn yeah. products as well. So they have a similar effect with the protein sort of helping to control your appetite. Yeah. So Laura mentioned protein there. So protein and fibre work together, really, to help keep you full. And some of these foods that we're talking about are rich in protein and are rich in fiber so that would be things like the beans pulses and lentils soya corn tofu those sorts of things but but definitely with that we wouldn't want people to be going on any kind of atkins type ketogenic diets that are all protein and no carbs because carbs do get a bad rep but actually by having the whole grain cereals and regular carbs in the day they are good for your appetite, they're good for your energy levels and they avoid you from, um, especially if you've got CKD and you're not on dialysis, you don't want to be having excess protein. And if you are on dialysis, it's the fibre because if you're limited on fluid, you need that fibre to help move the bowels along but also you know, the fibre that's found in a lot of these carbohydrates is good for your bowels, you don't want any problems with your bowels. And it's good for, I mean, this is getting a little bit more technical, but it's good for all the gut bacteria that we've got going on in our bowels as well that help look after our health. So I don't want to get any more technical than that, really. But um, but yeah, it's all supporting your immune system, yeah. isn't it? Having a healthy, balanced diet. So yeah, steer clear for sure of the Atkin high protein, low carb approach. Yeah, I definitely wouldn't go on any sort of shake or soup diet without checking with a sort of health professional first yeah I mean that they are sometimes useful for people particularly if you're wanting to get down to a specific weight for transplant but you really want that guidance from a dietitian before or from your GP before embarking on something like that yeah checking your stage of CKD your blood results and really what else that you might be able to do with your activity levels and things yeah so for someone who is quite you know they're used to being active and maybe they've used protein shakes in the past when they're kind of bulking up I mean I know we're talking about weight loss but sometimes people do use protein shakes to curb hunger are protein shakes safe for people with CKD to drink in general I would say you don't need protein shakes most people get more than enough protein from their diet anyway and there's always that risk you know if you've had a transplant or you've got CKD that you're putting more pressure on your kidneys by having more protein and I think the phrase that always stuck in my head at uni with protein shakes that they're quite expensive and you get quite expensive urine coming out because you end up filtering out um, a lot of that protein and, and that's coming back out in your wee. Yeah I mean generally <laughs> most of the population eat more protein than they need anyway these protein shakes tend to be quite high in protein like 20 30 grams of protein and actually in any sitting your body is unlikely you can't to absorb it all in one no day. and no. so it ends up being you you get additional calories 
of additional energy in the body that ends up being stored and then you're putting more Your pressure on the to kidneys. filter it out yeah. yeah so steer clear from protein well our advice would be to probably steer clear from yeah. protein unless you're you know working at athlete sort of level and you're getting specific nutrition advice from your dietitian you really don't need to take in protein shakes right so protein shakes are a no off the menu (laughs) so you're doing your food diary you're checking the things that you're eating you're being more aware of when you're eating why you're eating what else can you do so i think there's kind of people sometimes think skipping meals can help them if they're trying to lose weight and certainly I know a lot of people with CKD can feel fairly nauseous in the morning or or can wake up with some sort of bad tastes in their mouth which put them off of having breakfast but in general to get your metabolism going it is good to be eating something within sort of an hour or two of waking up in the morning so um, we talk about regular meals and by no means is that a prescribed that you know you must eat breakfast, lunch and dinner because that doesn't fit in with everyone's life but in general, you can, can meet all your nutritional requirements for the day by having maybe three meals, three or four hours apart. And I say that the time of day you have that can fit in with your sort of own schedule, but it is good to eat regularly throughout the day. I think you don't want to get to the point where you're completely ravenous and then you're, you're going to go for the quick fix to save off that hunger, really. And you want to avoid that. So by having regular meals, you're keeping that ravenous hunger at bay but also you're balancing your blood sugars which helps with weight loss control as well yeah definitely control yeah because yeah. it's really easy to end up doing that when you're busy working you've got a family or you've got different responsibilities and yeah i'll eat in a bit i'll eat in a bit and before you know it you've gone many many hours without eating anything and then like you said it's like and then you eat everything and it undoes all of that undoes all of that sacrifice so yeah so Mm -hmm. eating regular meals yeah absolutely and then we've we've talked a bit about looking at your portion sizes as well so this comes up fairly often i think it's really hard to know what portion sizes you should be having because it's all individual isn't it It depends how active we are depends on, um, on our starting weight as well and a weight goal that we want to get to and when you go out now like the portions have just got bigger and bigger haven't they sort of when you're out so Mm -hmm. um people quite often say to me that one of the first things they find useful is going to a a smaller plate and it's it's also then just sort of looking at the balance of nutrients again that you're having with that meal so um trying to have a meal that's got that mix of some kind of protein of sort of meat fish eggs that type of food some kind of carbohydrate, the sort of starchy foods, the sort of rice and pastas and potatoes, and then also having vegetables with the meal as well to keep you full. So a nice balance of those. And, and for people really who are able to increase into about half a plate of vegetables can be a good thing to lower your overall calorie intake. And then the other half, obviously, you divide between your protein and your carbohydrate. So when we're talking about macronutrients now rather than actual food so if you've got half a plate of salad or some lovely vegetables on your plate then the other half divided into your say for example mashed potato or 
wholemeal pasta or whole grain rice. And then the other quarter that we've got left will be your protein. So your meat, fish, eggs, your beans, pulses or lentils. So I've seen some people where they've got, when I say people, I mean like trainers and people like that, where they've got like a hand and they'll say like a palm of such and such and a a thumb of such and such and a finger size of such and such. Is there any truth behind that? Yeah, and that can be useful, but it's it's a bit cumbersome to have to sort of work out your palm and putting up your I suppose it's a bit like on a scale, isn't it? So um, the easiest thing to do is probably start off with your food diary and looking at what you are eating and then just think, you know, I normally have four potatoes, I'll cut down to three and just very easily reduce down from your baseline and cut it down. And I only have one portion of veg, but now I'll go up. Yeah. I'm reducing my potatoes. I'll go up with my veg. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So that there's, there's that kind of realistic assessment of your own diet. And then some people prefer things that are a, a bit more prescriptive. And I think, you know, doing the hands and the thumbs and, you know, looking at your portion sizes, that's quite good. And, and the British Heart Foundation have some good resources um, to do with that on their website. Yeah. And then I think you've got people that are more extreme that want to weigh everything out. But you say, and that's fine if that's what you want to do. It's just making sure it doesn't become obsessive or an, or an unhealthy approach. You still want it to be quite a, a healthy approach to weight loss. You don't want it to become about counting everything and weighing everything. And if you go a few grams over, you know, you get stressed out about it. That's not a healthy approach to it. So it's it might be, be that quite... you start out by weighing. And the, the ones that always spring to my mind that I find really hard to work out is like when you're cooking pasta and rice, those types of things. So it might be you start out by weighing it, but then you start to realise that it's half of one of your cup per person or it's a handful per, per person. So I mean, you could do the same with cereals, couldn't you? Because it's always got a portion guide on the cereals and things like porridge oats. It's normally about 40 grams. So what does 40 grams look like? Weigh that out maybe the first or second time. Get a feel for what that looks like. But then don't worry about weighing it every day. I think that that's yeah. too much. Yeah, and, and that's not sustainable, like we talked yeah. about in the beginning, isn't it? Nobody's got time to <laughs> be weighing everything on the scales every day. And it's, you know, it's not a natural way of eating, is it? We don't naturally have to weigh everything out. You want to keep it as normal yeah. as possible. So I would say the best thing is is doing this, look at your starting point and then just see how you can easily cut that down. So you were saying that half of your plate should be vegetables, are there combinations of vegetables that work best together or combinations that you'd say avoid having this vegetable with this vegetable because they kind of work against each other kind of thing? Absolutely not. No, no I mean, just... I guess it, the thing from what you're saying that springs to mind is that is the people that are on a, like a low potassium diet, then vegetables is a bit more tricky. But we try and, and give you know quite a plentiful list of the vegetables people can have in general if you're on a low potassium diet we would say boil your vegetables first rather than sort of steaming them just to help get rid of excess potassium and we certainly tend to say there's vegetables that you might have on a daily basis there's some you might have a couple of times a week and then there's the ones that you need to have less often so that can make it more difficult but there should still be plenty of options for people to have half a plate of vegetables but in terms of actual weight loss and vegetable combination, there's no evidence for any particular vegetable combination for weight loss. And 
I just think have your vegetables whichever way you enjoy them and whichever way is the safest approach for you. Yeah, definitely. So you touched on low potassium diets and you were saying that there's some vegetables to eat less often. So what would those be? So some of your higher potassium vegetables would be things like Brussels sprouts or spinach, mushrooms, parsnips. What else? We've got avocados and <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah, fake beans and things. So they're things that you can have, but just in smaller amounts and less often, really. Yeah, asparagus, fennel, those, spinach. Yeah, I think we mentioned spinach. So the ones that you can go for would be things like the carrots, cabbage, cauliflower, green beans, peas, swede mixed veg, bean sprouts, they're sort of the lower end. And then you've got the moderate ones that are more your salad vegetables that um, you wouldn't necessarily boil. So you might stir fry them or add them to a curry or something. Sometimes I think people think salads aren't allowed if you're on a late potassium diet, but you can make a salad with sort of lettuce leaves and tomato and cucumber and pepper radishes yeah yeah, they do fit into it you do have to be a bit more careful with the things like watercress and your spinach and some of the more exotic salad leaves but you know salad is okay but equally we're talking about weight loss and people will start saying that I can only eat salad because I'm trying to lose weight and that's not true that's not true yeah (laughs) I once heard somebody say that that, yeah I go out for dinner and all I can eat some celery sticks well that is certainly true yeah definitely not true I think it's also important just to touch because we have mentioned you mentioned oh, somebody wanting to lose a stone in a week or something. Well, I think we should talk about, you know, what realistic weight loss actually looks like, what sensible weight loss actually looks like and what you can prepare yourself for. Yeah. So we always say. One to two pounds per week is a sensible amount of weight loss, and that is based on. Um, reducing your calorie intake by about 500 calories per day so if for example you only lose half a pound a week and you haven't reached that one pound you've still lost and it's still sensible Mm. and it's perfectly fine don't expect to lose a stone don't expect to lose five or six pounds in a week and if you are losing that amount you're not really losing weight you're losing well you're losing weight obviously but you're not losing fat in the body you're losing fluid fluid, and you're losing some muscle as well so sensible weight loss is really you want to keep it under two pounds per week yeah and like you said d you know that's that's not always easy to to see on the scales especially if your weight goes up and down with some fluid retention so resist the um the need to check on a a regular basis and think more about you know maybe only weighing once a month or something yeah and and, and looking at trends yeah I think what doesn't help is when you have and I think without naming the show everyone knows what show I'm talking about you have shows where people are losing seven eight nine ten twelve fourteen sometimes seventeen twenty one pounds in one week and I think that really sends a damaging message to somebody who is doing everything that they can do to eat healthy and exercise regularly and they lose half a pound for that week. I think it sends a very damaging message to that person because like you said, they've lost, if you've lost half a pound in a week, you've lost weight, you haven't gained, you have achieved something. And I think when you see, I've seen like, like a rubbery plastic representation of what a pound of fat looks like 
I mean, oh, half yeah. a pound of that, it's massive. It's like, <laughs> it's, it's really, and I think that if you keep that image in your mind that yeah. this is half a pound or this is a pound, it is a lot. You've achieved a lot. So you're talking about like a block of butter, aren't you, really? Mm. A block of butter is about half a pound. So that's a reasonable amount to yeah. lose from your body. Definitely. Um, yeah. And it's certainly so. better than having it on your body. Uh, absolutely yeah and it makes you healthier and that's ultimately where we want to be and I think it you know that comes back to two other things that that I link in there and one was when we said at the beginning about being kind to yourself so recognizing it is not easy and um you know not setting yourself unrealistic goals really because it is hard and that's why people find it so hard because they set themselves these goals and then they don't reach it. And then it makes it even harder the next time you try and sort of make changes. And another thing I was thinking about sort of coming in there with the, the fat is also thinking about your muscle as well. And if you are increasing your activity and you start to gain a bit of muscle, then that might sort of mean that you don't notice so much on the scales that week. Because it um, is true. Muscle is heavier than fat. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, and they look very different. So you might find that your your shape's changed, but you still weigh the same because you've got more muscle and you're more toned. So that there is that to sort of bear in mind as well, sort of the exercise element. Um, yeah, I think that's a good point. And obviously, by changing the diet and by increasing your activity, you're actually improving your health. So we probably see changes in things like cholesterol and blood sugar levels and blood pressure just right. sort of independently from that even if the scales aren't showing the big changes we haven't really touched on exercise yet have we but you see we're here to talk about diet but exercise does come into it it doesn't have to be going to the gym or embarking on some hard going hit classes or anything like that it can just simply be as easy as going for a walk and increasing the steps every day so yeah. depends, again, where you are at the time. And I think it's time. also taking away the exercise from necessarily being about weight loss. The exercise is about, it's good for my health to do the exercise. It's good for my mental health to be more active. And it's good to find things that you enjoy. It can be a social thing to meet other people. So it doesn't, you're not doing the exercise just to lose weight. You're doing it to, to improve your, your lifestyle and find something that's a good fit for you to continue on a regular basis. So not just for the period that you're sort of wanting to lose weight, it's something yeah. to continue in the long term. Yeah, I mean, some people commit to going to the gym doing three or four times a week, but have no pleasure in it whatsoever. So, <laughs> yeah, life's too short. <laughs> if you enjoy going yeah. for a swim, go for a swim. If it's a walk or a yoga class or a Pilates class or Tai Chi or whatever, meeting with a friend and playing some tennis or some badminton or anything that you're not doing at the moment that you want to do do it yeah I think for me it really is about finding your passion as an individual Mm -hmm. everyone's different I mean I love quite high intensity things so I like badminton or like boxing anyone that sees me online will see me skipping and doing like quite high intensity things but everyone's different if you enjoy walking if you enjoy things that are very slower paced for me, it's better to be consistently average than amazingly short term. So you might be able to like go to the gym every single day, you know, train really, really hard and only maintain that for maybe a month. But you could 
train two, three times a week, maybe even once a week and maintain that for a year. And over yeah, the and long it, term, that's going to be better, isn't it? And that's what kind of the goal setting is about, sort of making it really easy for yourself. So saying, oh, I am going to go on a 20 minute walk once a week over the next four weeks. And then if I've managed to do that, perhaps I will allow myself to go and get my hair done or have my nails done or um, rather than treat yourself to a big cake. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or, you know, yeah. Yeah. So again, being kind to yourself, isn't it? But I get your point as well, that consistency is more important, isn't it? But if it's something you can do consistently, and if it's only that walk once a week that you're managing, that's better than um, trying to get to a hit session that you're not making it to. (laughs) Set the goal that's realistic for you and get to a point where it becomes habit, where it becomes easy, where it becomes every day, or it fits into your life over the course of a week. And then you might think, well, actually, now I'm ready to increase this and I will go for a walk twice a week or I'll have a walk and a swim once a week. Yeah, it works for you. And I think also it's recognising that for someone with CKD, and as I know myself, there's days where I struggle to get out of bed. And then there's days where I do a workout and I burn over a thousand calories. So it's also giving yourself permission to have that rest when you need it. And not be like stressing out, oh, I should be training today or I should be training, you know, how many times this week. It's getting that balance between, you know, giving the body the rest that it's demanding because of your CKD, but also pushing yourself maybe a little bit to get some exercise, which ironically, sometimes when I am tired, I've learned the difference between I'm tired and I need to rest and I'm tired. And maybe if I do a bit of exercise, actually, that will help me feel better. So I've found that sometimes when I'm tired and I've trained, I've got like loads of energy at the end of it. So it's finding that balance and and learning for you what your body is telling you and going with that. I think that comes back to being kind to yourself as well, doesn't it? Yeah. I was wondering whether it's sort of a link between that mental fatigue and the physical fatigue as well. And, you know, we know with CKD that there is the anemia and... Mm. um, you know, all those other things at play, you know, if you're having to do dialysis, that's quite draining. Yeah, so it's finding the right time, isn't it, to to schedule things in as well. And having people around you for support, so that probably goes with both the exercise and the sort of diet side of things, is you want people around you that are, you know, in your corner and kind of giving you the right amount of support. So it might be that you feel safer going out with somebody else. And it might be that you need people around you that are going to just rather than say, well, why don't you have another biscuit? You know, respect you for for kind of what you're trying to achieve. So, yeah. And not, perhaps not buying them or having them in the house for the other person or some family or yeah. um, just. Sometimes that's just letting them know, isn't it? Mm-hmm. You know, at, at the moment, I'm, you know, trying Focusing to on my health. really help my, my health and. You know, if I come over, it'd be really helpful if you didn't offer me <laughs> the biscuits or, um, you know, if it's people we li- live with saying, now I'm going to be reducing my portion sizes down. And it's better if no one comments on it or, you know, it's, it's one of those really interesting things, isn't it? The sort of social side of it when you're trying to make changes and whether it's helpful or not when people pick up on that. The thing is, for some people, food is their love language. So you'll go to your grandma's house or whoever it might be and they're throwing food at you 
because for them that is their expression of love and I think yeah. that can be very difficult when you're saying no to somebody who actually they're communicating love but it's not a really helpful way when you're trying to lose weight yeah totally interesting dynamic isn't it with all of that so where does fat and sugar content come into this like how can we improve on those yeah so obviously cutting down on foods that are high in fat and sugar will get rid of calories from the diet and sometimes foods that aren't necessarily giving you any other benefit either but you know that there's a reason that they're around and they've been developed and that's because we like them we enjoy yeah, them and they're tasty and yeah i think from a psychological aspect as well the if you try and eliminate those things completely, you just crave them more and more. I mean, some people talk about being an all or nothing approach, but I think for a lot of people, it's, it's more not realistic to say, yeah. you know, I can have a small amount occasionally yeah. and look at how often you're having it and, and how much you're having. Which is all part and parcel of a healthy, balanced diet. You know, you don't have to go without fat. You don't have to go without sugary things. Those foods that we enjoy, the chocolate cakes, biscuits, sweets, you don't have to go without them. They do form part of a healthy, balanced diet. But it's about how much you're having and how often you're having them. Yeah. So if you are having those things every day, and if you're, if you're having them more than once a day, then, yeah, there's opportunities to cut those things down. And the more you cut them down, the more you limit them, the lower your calorie intake from those foods that really don't offer you any other nutritional benefit and so it might be that keeping to kind of a a low fat low sugar diet with your your main meals sort of on a a regular basis and then having those treats occasionally outside of it and and we've all got those associations haven't we you know we we all associate birthdays with birthday cake Mm. and I'm sure we all have things from our past where certain foods tend to give us comfort or we go to when we're celebrating or stressed or sad or happy so for instance like with, with your main you know on a daily basis you might be having a lower fat milk you're avoiding the sugary cereals and you're kind of trimming fat from meat or cooking things without too much added oils or butters or steering clear of you know processed foods that contain a lot of fat so ready meals or any convenience foods that things that you might find in the freezer aisle or the fridge aisle that's covered in breadcrumbs or batter and that's what we try to do with kidney kitchen isn't it we've we've had a category for everyday meals and a category for sort of special occasions Mm -hmm. so the the everyday meals try to be in line with food labeling advice and and keeping the fat and the sugar content down and the salt as well obviously so i'm aware that there are good fats and bad fats so Mm. what would be examples of kidney friendly good fats so when it comes to good fats and bad fats you're you're looking at things like saturated fats versus unsaturated fats but when it comes to weight loss fat is fat yeah they've all got the same calories they've got the same amount of calories so so regardless of whether it's saturated fat or unsaturated fat they still have exactly nine calories per gram and will if you're replacing your bad fat with lots of good fat and hoping to lose weight, you're not going to because you're still going to have yeah, so it's, it's the calories. Fat down, yeah, where okay. possible. But actually for your heart health, we know that if you can swap things like your butter and lard for things like olive oils and vegetable oils, then that 
that is better for you. For your, for, yeah, for your heart, for things like lowering cholesterol. But it doesn't mean you can drown your salad in olive oil. No, it's not good. That's not <laughs> or avocado oil or hemp seed oil or any rapeseed oil, any of them. Yeah, they're all going to be, they're all high calories regardless. Right. <laughs> I do, I do like olive oil on my salad. So uh, I, I feel my wrist being slapped there. Oh, no, no. <laughs> No, I'm only joking. When you buy a a good quality um, olive oil, it's got such a nice strong flavour to it anyway that you don't need limits of it. Yeah, you don't need as much. Um, We say stuff, things like that, with things like cheese. So cheese is something that's really easy to overeat. But I might say to somebody, like a portion could be a small matchbox size piece and they look at you and then you say, well, if you break it, it looks loads more and it goes a lot further. And if you go for an extra mature, a stronger flavour. You don't need as much anyway. Yeah, I do like mature cheese. There's a little tip. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but when you're looking at things like fat, salt and sugar, you've got the traffic light symbols on the front of packaging. And that can be quite a helpful guide towards whether or not it's low fat, moderate or high. So I don't know if you've seen those. Do I, you? I, that is the first thing that I look at when I... Is uh, it? Yeah, really? absolutely. And it's quite scary, actually, sometimes when I think, oh, this looks really nice. And then I see the big red triangle on the fat and the salt. And I'm like, oh, goodbye. Next <laughs> kind of thing. So, no, I think the traffic light system is definitely a very clear and easy way to help make decisions regarding food. Yeah, it's certainly not perfect, but it's a good tool, I think. Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, you have to be a little bit careful with portions. Sizes. Some products with it, they are portioned differently. Some are per hundred grams, some are done in, in portions. So, as long as the say two things that you're comparing are being like categorized yeah. the same, then they yeah. can be useful because they can be yeah, very I mean, naughty with that, can't they? Because they can they can market it as being healthy, but actually, when you look at the portion size. You're like, no, yeah, you're like, no, it would be very misleading. Yeah. A well known chocolate bar, which has two fingers in it, two sticks in it. <laughs> yeah. So it te- on the front of the packaging, it tells you how many calories, but not for both of the sticks, just for one. Okay. Yeah. So if you're going to buy one of these, I'm not convinced that you would just eat yeah. the one. I tell you what, there's another tip though that comes from that like packaging thing, isn't it? So people often say, if you open a packet, then it's harder to resist it. Whereas if you can buy things that are packaged in sort of small individual portions, then then that can make it easier to stop moving on to the next. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's another interesting one that comes up. But yeah, the traffic light symbols can be quite useful to look at. So they're on the front of packaging for, they've normally got calories on there. If that means anything to people, I don't particularly advocate counting calories. It's then got fat, saturated fats, sugar and salt on there. And I should imagine most people are quite used to looking out for salt and trying to go for things that are amber or green anyway. But yeah, certainly looking at things that are amber or green for, for fat and sugar can be really helpful and looking at the products that you typically buy now and checking to see whether or not there's perhaps something that's lower in fat and lower in sugar and being guided by the printed packaging traffic light symbols you think i don't know whether it's sort of another thing just to acknowledge is that we talked a little bit about 
sort of comfort eating and you know some people do go to these kind of foods to to really help manage their emotions and that's normal to a certain extent but if you've noticed that it's happening more and more or it's it's happening on a frequent basis then that is the time to sort of think about speaking to your GP or, or dietitian about it or whether you might need some sort of mental health support and and there's a lot out there now to sort of help people find other ways to deal with the way they're feeling to move away from the food side of it it's, it's kind of like an extreme emotional eating and, um, and and it's not easy to deal with on your own it sort of um, takes a bit of time to recognize why you're doing it how you're really feeling and what you might be able to do instead to to break that habit so something that people might not consider when they're looking at calories and and I know we're not stuck on calories but one thing I know that might slip under the neck Someone might eat perfectly healthy, but then drink alcohol. And because it's so high in calories, then it, you know, upsets the apple cart and they may gain weight. So alcohol, like what are drinks that are like really high in calories compared to others? So, I mean, I think if people are still going to be drinking alcohol, then obviously you want to stay within the guidance, no more than 14 units a week. I think we should definitely put that so message out there. Getting and down to there is, is probably your first step yeah. if you're having more than that. And don't save those units up for a, a, a night binge. <laughs> Spread them out throughout the week and ensure you're having some alcohol-free days throughout the week. So if many of your calories are coming from alcohol, that will make a huge difference. Alcohol in terms of calories, very similar to fat, just a little bit lower. So, you know, can contribute quite significantly to the diet. And I I have seen people that it's been things like the wine and the beer that they've cut down on that's made a a massive difference to their their weight loss. So it's definitely a good thing to bring up, Dee. So I would say things like wine, beer, cider. Cider, for sure, is probably, you know, if you're going, anything that's stronger in alcohol like your vintage ciders and things they'll be more calorific so the more alcohol in them the stronger it is the stronger it is the more calorific okay Uh, yeah i think on the flip side you've then got things like your spirits that if you're having a very small amount with a low calorie mixer aren't gonna make a massive impact on your calories no so um say for example i mean we think we we talked about this in the Christmas edition because it was low mm. potassium but things like a gin and tonic you know one shot of gin 25 mils that's a small amount of alcohol small number of calories and then if you have that with a reduced calorie mixer like a light tonic water then that's probably going to be one of your lowest calories plus it's only one unit of alcohol yeah so whereas a glass of wine can easily be two to three units of alcohol and then you have the same conversation with, with people on dialysis who are on fluid restriction. So they, they all think that we like our spirits because uh, <laughs> <laughs> a lower fluid content and uh, sort of lower calorie content. <laughs> so, yeah, your spirits are probably the better option, but obviously you just need to be mindful of the type of mixer that you're having with it. So going for a, a low calorie mixer, you don't want to go for like yeah, a diet lemonade. Yeah. Or, um, you know, like you say, like a low calorie tonic, something like that. Yeah, so like a cola type drink, you wouldn't want to necessarily be going for the full sugar no. variety. Yeah, so, and especially if you say on a phosphate, phosphate <laughs> restriction, the colas are definitely out. And, yeah. and the fruit juices tend to be, they've got a lot more natural sugar in, so you don't have lots of fruit juice. 
and that's going to have a bit more sort of calories in as well. Yeah, so it's an yeah, interesting one with the alcohol. So yeah, the alcohol can stimulate your appetite as well. We mustn't forget that. So for people that are are drinking, right. you can then uh, end up with the munchies. <laughs> well, and I think you're just more likely to sort of throw caution to the wind and just say, oh, forget the diet. I'll start again tomorrow. Or you know, not that we're talking about a diet, but forget the healthy eating. Yeah. I'll have a kebab on the way we're home. Have a bit of a blowout. Or, yeah. No. So, so yeah, certainly look at your alcohol intake. There are lots of apps that are free that you can monitor how much alcohol you're having and how many units you're having because it's not particularly straightforward working out your number of units. So these apps will do them for you. And if you think that you're going over that 14, then you know that that would be step number one wouldn't it to bring it down and then I, I guess that extra sort of layer of caution there is just you know if you're on medication do check with your pharmacist or your doctor that it's okay to to drink with that mm. mindful eating <laughs> now when I think of um, mindful eating because I must admit I eat really fast like I always have I try and slow down but I really have this bad habit of eating quickly. So is mindful eating eating slower or is there more to it than that? I think there is a little bit more to it than that. It's not about eating really slowly or chewing every mouthful 20 times or anything like that. It's more about taking the time to enjoy what's on your plate and the flavour and the texture and acknowledging it and recognising it. And um, so I think it, there is that sort of slowing down element, just slowing down enough to recognise, you know, how hungry you are at the beginning of the meal, recognising the different textures and tastes and flavours in the food and allowing yourself to stop at the point that you feel that you've had enough rather than just eating until the plate is cleared. And also to help you with that sort of eating with no distractions. So people often eat now with the TV on or their phone in their hand. And or while they're reading a book. Or, yeah. Yes. So it's, and actually, I think focusing you on your eating, meal. you know, in a more social situation, you tend to, you're more likely to notice that you're feeling full or to eat slower because you're sort of talking at the same time. So again, you know, another sort of self-observation, right? And it's sort of looking at different situations and, how much you're eating and what's been affecting it. So it's probably perhaps sitting down and having a knife and fork and a plate and the table in front of you rather than it being on the run or in the car. Put your um, knife and fork down in between mouthfuls to allow yourself to say finish what you've got and sort of register how you're feeling. It's not just about sort of slowing things down, it's about your whole environment and just taking the time to enjoy what's on your plate. Yeah, and appreciating sort of the taste and the flavour. And I guess with everything that we've spoken about, isn't it? Because we've talked about, you know, all the nutrients that we're getting from our food and not giving ourselves a hard time. So thinking about, you know, what we're getting from our food and the nourishment that we're having from there. And it kind of brought me back to something else we were talking about. You know, it's not about being on a diet and off a diet. It's about sort of just allowing yourself to respect your body and, and what you're having. and there's no start again on Monday. It's uh, okay. Well, I, I did have something a bit extra for this reason, but that doesn't stop me from eating healthy, continuing to have my next my day, next meal. But... Yeah, still being what I planned it to be. So we've covered 
a lot today. We've looked at making time to focus on yourself, monitoring the foods that you eat in terms of food diaries, spreading out your eating in terms of regular meals, portion control. We've looked at fat and sugar, cutting down on alcohol and mindful eating and also about keeping active and finding exercise that you enjoy and will be consistent with. So where else can people get further support with their weight loss journeys? Um, well, there, yeah, there's lots of places. I mean, I would start, first of all, maybe with Kidney Kitchen would be one. be a great, great one. So like yeah. Laura alluded to earlier, we've got lots of everyday meals on there that fit within the low salt and the low fat category. And we try to add at least two portions of veg to those meals. So the Kidney Kitchen website. We have had some feedback from people that they have found that by choosing some of those recipes and and the portions that are outlined there have helped them with their weight loss goals. Yeah, so we try to keep things like the rice, pasta portions at a sensible amount and two portions of vegetables and a sensible portion of protein. So, yeah, that should help with portion control. Yeah, Um, yeah, so that's a good place to start as well. And if you're not cooking at the moment, good new year's resolution to start cooking and making your own food at home and obviously you've got the lovely videos that help yeah help you along yeah watch chef ripley doing doing his thing and i, I was thinking kidney care uk have got some good advice around exercise as well and trying to get people more active generally absolutely and there's a video featuring myself on kidney care uk's youtube channel with anyone looking to start gently and exercise there's a video that actually features myself ah, on there so yay. do check out I the youtube it. channel and there's other videos as well with different types of exercise so yeah please do check out kidney care uk's youtube channel with the exercise videos on there lovely and then we've got the, the british dietetic association they've got some sort of food fact style and um, leaflets on their website and they've got advice around portion sizes and sort of lowering fats and sugars. Yeah, and salt as well. And salt, more information on that. So the British Dietetic Association, it's um, our professional body. That's what dietitians would belong to. So it's all all the information on there is produced by dietitians. So yeah, it's and a good, reliable source. The NHS weight loss programme. So obviously it's not tailored for somebody with CKD, but if you need that bit of extra support, but you don't want to be sort of going to any groups, then there's an online forum with that. They send you sort of extra tips on a weekly basis and help you to sort of set small goals. So, so that's somewhere to go. And then um, there's a website with patient webinars. I think it's just patientwebinars.co.uk. Yeah, it's um, on YouTube and um, it's been produced by the Somerset Dietitians. Yeah, um, they've certainly got a few things around eating patterns, balanced diets and sort of dieting myths that people can look at. Yeah, look at or listen to. Um, and then there's the British Heart Foundation. So that's a national charity. But they've got some wonderful leaflets on there about portion sizes, good fats, bad fats. So you can find out more about those as well on there. But they've got a really useful downloadable leaflet on food labelling. So if you're looking at things like the fats, salts, sugars, 
and how to interpret it, not just on the front of packaging, but if, for example, you decide to turn it over and look at the nutritional information on the back, then it's got more information. It helps you know how to interpret that information. Understand how they're compiled, I suppose, isn't it? Yeah. So, yeah. so, so you can yeah, so you can look at the food label on the back and see what is actually low, high, moderate. Yeah, it's good. And then obviously, you know, services vary in, in different areas, but you know, it might be seeing a GP or a practice nurse, they could signpost you to a dietitian or or help signpost you to another organization. So we've got something in this area that sort of offers phone support for people, sort of with a health coach, health coaches, people working on their way. And then if, if it's something that's been, you know, a problem for a long time and you recognise this dieting cycle where you've been trying diets and then putting on weight and and you, you're really struggling, then there there are sort of more more services available for you then, sort of mental health services as well as sort of NHS services that can help you sort of recognise where the problems lie and you know eventually sort of bariatric surgery is, is there for some people so there's, there's lots of support out there to help people with their weight and it might be sort of seeing a GP is the next step with that and then of course if you've got a renal dietitian that you go to regularly at your unit if you're having dialysis if you're a transplant patient and you're aware that there's renal dietitians as part of the your care team then it could just be um, making contact with the renal dietitian letting them know that you want some support with losing weight and it could be that they can they have a service available within their area that can support them and I guess that's just another sort of reflection on the whole weight thing is that if, if you are trying to lose weight then make sure that you let your dialysis nurses know so that they can adjust your target weight appropriately if needed and you know, certainly at our units, we sometimes do some body composition measurements as well that can help to look at the amount of fluid that people have got on board, which these are special machines that we have to reattach to the patient so that we can then sort of analyse how much and perhaps, what's your true weight and yeah, what's your kind of fluid. Tells weight. us how much fluid you're actually carrying, which can be really useful. So we you know, those tools are available to dietitians. So if you're getting confused between fluid and actual body weight then it can help the good discussion to have yeah. isn't it it can help it's a useful tool yeah and then you know we've mentioned some of the apps out there so there's lots of alcohol related apps that are free nhs england apps are quite useful so they're normally called one you and they've got some alcohol advice and weight loss advice and i think they also do activity based apps as well so just simple walking apps that are out there which I think are called one new yeah I don't know that one but the one that a lot of people talk about is my fitness pal which I would say to be a bit cautious with because I'm not sure that all the data is always completely accurate especially when it comes to things like potassiums and Mm. and phosphates but it still is a useful monitoring tool so if you, you are doing a food diary you might find it easier to do it on an app rather than keeping sort of something a paper copy with you all the time and the other benefit of doing those is that it, you look back after a month and say, you know, what have I changed over the last month? And you can see see that recorded. Fantastic. So do you have a final word of encouragement for the listeners who are embarking on their weight loss journey? I should imagine we both probably think from the same hymn book here and would say, avoid the fad diets and focus on your health and improving your health through your diet yeah so just looking at 
your overall day and what you're eating and, and how you can be be best for yourself and look after yourself. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me today and for sharing so much amazing tips, advice, and so much information that can help people like myself who, you know, want to lose a few pounds, but in the context of CKD can be very, very challenging. So thank you so much for sharing all of this with us today. Pleasure, Dee. Thank you for having us back. Thank you for listening to Diary of a Kidney Warrior podcast. And don't forget that you can contact me on social media using the handle Diary of a Kidney Warrior. Please do subscribe to the podcast and please do tell a friend. New episodes of this podcast are released every other Monday. Until next time, take care and choose to live. Diary of a Kidney Warrior. Sharing faith, knowledge, hope and love.